วทูอรหัตโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบุพพะทูอรหัตโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบุพพะทูอรหัตโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามัสสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามัสสัมสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามัสสัมสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามัสสัมสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามัสสัมสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามัสสัมสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามัสสัมThe occasion where the Buddha actually decided, "This is how I want to uh, impart what I've learnt to other people." Uh, he had, uh, clearly realised for himself uh, there was no doubt, no confusion. There was perfect clarity that it is possible to completely free consciousness from all distortions, all disfigurements, so that the essential nature is realised. And that essential nature is perfectly inherently blissful and completely, unshakably contented. And of course, he'd been working towards this realization for a long time. And uh, then it came the task to to how to impart this uh, to others. And so, the words that he gave, this or uh, well, the four noble truths, are, carefully, are clearly very carefully considered and. The fact that they have been handed down for the last 2,600 years and are still being practiced, still observed um, by millions and millions of people um, all around the world, uh, is clearly a message. This is something worth looking at. Yeah. Now, if we haven't uh, come across the Buddha's teachings before, then you might wonder. You might find yourself thinking, "Well, why is he going on about suffering?" I mean, you know. Don't you think it'd be better to go on about happiness or love or light? Or well, he could have done that, and certainly he knew uh, the source of all loving and and the source of all well-being. However, the way he presented his teaching was on a level that applied to everybody. That's not the case that everybody has got happiness. In fact, when you haven't got happiness, and somebody going on about how you should be happy, be kind of pretty uninspiring, really. I know for myself, I've been through some rough times, and some spiritual expert has come and told me how I should, you know, brighten up, and uh, <laughs> didn't really impress me a great deal. However, um, what the Buddha gave us is something that, as I say, applies to everybody all the time. Now, you might some people think, well, actually, I'm very happy. I don't. I'm not suffering. Well, it does require some subtlety to look and see. The uh, the reality of our experience, whereby that even when we're having a good time, even the even the gods in the in the celestial realms, uh, the Buddha pointed out, you know, even when they're having a, a supremely good time, that there's always in in the experience of happiness, there's always the understanding that it's going to come to an end. That, that happiness is a condition. Happiness is something that arises. It's, it's a mood. It's a tone. It's a feeling. And uh, so, even happiness is not an end in itself. If there's mindfulness, there's a sense that even this good feeling is not something that you want to grasp at, because if you do, you you spoil it. 
And it's, but this is not just a theory. This is not just a kind of a, a kind of religious preaching. You know, in happiness is not good for you. It's not. It's not like that. It's, a, it's just saying, you know, have you ever experienced happiness that lasted forever? Well, if you haven't, then you know, let's be careful, because the reality is that when happiness comes along, it's so attractive. I mean, it's just like it's like it's like the ultimate ice cream. You know, I mean, you know, when you just you're eating it, you really don't want to be thinking about what ice cream is going to come to an end, do you? You just want to you know, eat it and you just want to enjoy it. But all good ice cream, can you imagine eating ice cream for all day? Or even actually eating ice cream for an hour would probably be awful. But ice cream for five minutes is really good. You know? But the reality of the pleasure that comes from eating ice cream is that it can't last. But when you're eating the ice cream, you tend to forget. And so we, if we lose ourselves in the pleasure of eating ice cream, the bad news is that we lose ourselves in the pain of disappointment, of loss, <clears throat> despair. That if we lose ourselves in pleasant feelings, we lose ourselves in painful feelings. That's the, that's the bottom line. That's the, that's the message that <clears throat> at some stage we need to get. And so when the Buddha gave this discourse, the Dhamma Chakrapawatana Sutta, he wasn't being miserable about life. He was just saying that this, this quality, this characteristic of dukkha, it's translated as suffering in English, which is you know kind of a clumsy word, really. You know, dukkha is a lot more subtle than that. It's, dukkha is it's, it's a characteristic. It's not a judgment of experience. It's just saying that this, this characteristic of all experience needs to be identified. Uh, that because things don't last, nothing that's born lasts forever. Everything that's born dies. Everything that rises ceases. That's the way of all things. And that if we grasp at any of it, then we, what we do is we introduce stress into our experience. Yeah. So all grasp that experience has this nature of producing suffering. And the Buddha said, if you can just remember this, then it's the greatest tool for learning how to relate wisely to experience. So we it's not, a, uh, it's not a doctrinal statement that we have to just believe in. It's not dogma, but rather a, uh, a pointing, a specific pointing and say, if you pay attention to this element of experience, then it's going to help you let go. And when we let go, well, then we can accord with experience. No matter whether it's a, a beautiful, joyous, lovely experience, we can accord with it without creating problems. If it's a very unfortunate, sad, miserable experience, we can accord with it without making it any worse. And if, uh, from the Buddhist perspective, if you have this right view of experience, if this is the way we view life, then we're in the optimum position for developing wisdom. If we want, we all want wisdom. We all want to be able to see clearly. We all want wisdom. We all want compassion. Where do wisdom and compassion lie? They come in our, when our experience is seen with right view, with clear seeing. And so that's why he delivered this discourse, the very first discourse he gave, to um, hopefully set our views right. And then we can learn from whatever our experience is, whatever is going on in our lives. And A few, a few days ago, I, I came out of my cootie over here, I opened the door and came out on the balcony, and it was, it was bucketing it down with rain, absolutely bucketing down with rain. And here we are in the middle of August, and, and, and it's, I don't know, it's the second or third day that it's been bucketing it down. And, and I was standing there thinking, 
Oh, this is wonderful, isn't it? We're so fortunate to live in this country. We have so much rain. We've got so much water. I mean, there's so many places on the planet where, you know, they don't have enough water. They don't have enough water to drink. They don't have water to grow food. And I'm not just talking about Africa or, you know, places where there's poverty. Australia, you know, they've got regulations about how long you can take a shower. I don't know if they've got police going around checking up on you or whatever, but, you know, they've got so little water in Australia that you, you, know, you can barely take a shower these days. Anyway, what, what, what happened for me in that moment was, well, that's interesting because there was a time in my life where I used to grumble about the rain. There have been some moments where I felt negatively about the rain. And when you grumble about the rain, you grumble about the weather, how does that feel? It doesn't feel very good. Grumbling about the weather doesn't change the weather. It changes us. The view we have about our experience, if we have a positive view, if we have a positive view, that changes our perception. I I, I love this country. I I can't understand why the English people put themselves down. It's it's a complete mystery to me. I feel hugely privileged to be here. And I I just feel very fortunate. and, uh, and I do quite intentionally choose to cultivate a positive disposition, and not just towards the weather, that's actually not so difficult, but towards life in general. Because the view of life, if we view life in a positive way, then it, it does affect the outcome. And it's not just affecting our hormones and our chemicals, of course it does that, and you can I'm sure there's plenty of research around these days that you could check up and see how indulging in negative thoughts is clearly affecting the the hormones and the inflammation in your joints and so on. And so there's that evidence. But even without that, you can you can see that if you have a positive disposition towards life, it has an effect. And so I think it's uh, it's very skillful to register the the suffering that we have and the connection between that and our views about how life should be. You know, the weather in England, I mean, I, I, again, I honestly feel just so fortunate that we've got so much rain. It's just it's wonderful to have all this water and lush, beautiful green countryside and, and politicians that are, that are responsible. Now, you think, oh, what are you talking about? Are politicians responsible? Well, you want to visit a lot of other people, places on the planet. You know, or you talk about the police force. Now, again, I can't understand why people complain about the police force in this country. Well, the only reason could be is because they haven't visited other countries. Because you visit other countries and you see the way the police force behaves. So the kind of view that we, we have and the way we hold our experience uh, definitely affects uh, our quality of life. But having said that, it would be a mistake... To, in my view, it's a mistake to think that we have to then grasp at being positive all the time. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I can remember as a child uh, seeing a book on the shelf in my father's library called The Power of Positive Thinking. And I used to know who wrote the book. It was very famous for my father's generation. And I think actually it was quite radical. It was a, a time after the war where the whole very idea of that you can train your thinking in a way that affects the outcome of your experience was quite new. And I admire my father for his, his commitment for, and his interest in these matters. However, the, the fact that 
that my father would never tolerate any sort of criticism drove me crazy because I had, I don't know, for whatever reason, my education or whatever, but my critical faculties were just craving for some expression and they weren't allowed. You were not allowed to be critical in our house. And so what I developed was a hypercritical tendency that uh, his commitment to the to positive thinking didn't rub off on me. I went the opposite direction for a while. That I was, my mind would naturally, would habitually go into always being critical about things. And and I later on, I, I stopped and reflected, and I recognised that that um, that the power of positive thinking, yes, it's it's got its place. But if you grasp it, positive thinking, thinking that that's an end in itself, that's not it. And it's not a matter of trying to be positive all the time. These days, after you know, years of experiment and realising that negative thinking doesn't work very well, I now call myself a strategic optimist. That I choose to be optimistic because I trust that it affects the outcome of experience. I choose positivity as a strategy because I know that if I allow my mind to go into negativity, which it can very easily, that affects the outcome. And that's very different from being a naive optimist. So a strategic optimist considers life. A strategic optimist means that you can be open to negativity. There are forces of evil around. Now, if you're attached to the idea of being positive all the time, I think sometimes such an attitude means you can't acknowledge evil when it is around. And that certainly certainly has an effect on how you contemplate life if you don't accept that there's evil it breeds a very naive sort of consciousness there is evil around if we don't accept it well then if we don't pay attention to it then there's a a very real risk that the evil goes underground in our own consciousness we can deny that it's there but it will be there and it will look for some expression so to have an attitude of a, of a strategic optimist means that one can work to think positively about life, about other people, but at the same time, you're not grasping at the ideal of being positive. It's the thing. It's, the, it's, not, it's not the view itself. It's not just the view itself, but it's how we relate to the view. So my feeling is cultivating the disposition of being a strategic optimist with regards to outer experience, it also has a very strong, a very important, significant effect inwardly. That if we're always negative about everything uh, outwardly in the world, and so all politicians are corrupt, all police are abusive, England's going to the dogs, the weather is horrible, you know, that's our kind of attitude. Well, then also there's the same sort of dialogue going on with our own minds. That I'm no good. You know, I've tried spiritual life. It didn't work for me. I failed at my samadhi. You know. Whereas the disposition of a strategic optimist can look at the mind and, yeah, there can be negative stuff happening. There can be some seriously negative stuff happening. Yeah, maybe you've got some serious doubts going on. Some serious doubts. You know, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you completely doubt the spiritual practice that you've been doing all these years. I, think, I don't know about this Buddhism. I really don't know about this Buddhism at all. 
you know, it's just, uh, you know, they just think that they've got the best ideas about everything and, you know, they always think they're superior to everybody else. <laughs> Whatever the negative thinking can come up. Yeah, fair enough. I've had thoughts like that. You know, I went through a period where, you know, I just didn't want to ever hear the word Buddhism ever again. And I was a monk <laughs> at the time. It was very inconvenient. Uh, if we're habitually grasping at a negative disposition, then maybe you don't get past that. Now, if you're trying to be positive all the time, we can feel guilty. Any of you hate Buddhism, you can feel very guilty. You know, maybe you don't feel grateful to your parents, or <clears throat> maybe you doubt your your partner. And you have doubts about your partner, and and uh, if you're having to be positive all the time, you're not allowed to have doubts. You, know, you get rid of the doubts, push the doubts underground. Whereas a strategic optimist has a natural inclination towards thinking, there's a way out of this. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know what the solution is. But, you know, when you think that every moment, every moment of existence is new, every moment of existence is new, no moment is ever old. The concept of old is just that. It's a concept. Every moment is unique, actually. It's not just a spin. That is the truth. No moment has ever been happened before. No moment is ever repeated. Every moment in reality is unique. And so if every moment is new, then how, why should we approach every moment with the assumption that we know what's going to happen? We don't know what's going to happen. And so if we approach life with the attitude of, of not knowing, of open, positive, aspiration, then we can be alert to the negativity. Yes, actually. England could be going down the tube. That's possible. But not necessarily. We don't have to believe it. Yes, we can have doubts about our, our partner or you know, about our teaching or about ourselves. We can have doubts. And so doubts are natural. We can learn from doubts. Doubts are an aspect of intelligence, actually. But if we've got a negative disposition, the doubts come along, and we either hate the doubt or, or we say, well, there we could grasp at the doubt and say, well, of course I doubt everything, I'm hopeless. Or we deny the doubt. We push the doubt into unawareness. So the encouragement in practice is, is uh, to try and get a perspective on the link between the view that we hold, the view that we even cultivate, the view that we're coming from, and our experience. Yeah, if we, if we, if we're always getting lost in, always getting lost in negativity, always getting lost in misery, always getting lost in a sense of failure. So we just, what is there a is there a, a habitual view there, you know, like a, an habitual judgment? An habitual judgment, which is very understandable, perfectly understandable. It's expected, actually, that yeah, I'm a failure because, you know, we were taught that somewhere along the line. Yeah. I'm, I, I always failed everything I do. But that's a view. Now, if we look at that, if we dare to turn our attention around and look at that view and call it, that's a view, that's a conditioned view, that's a conditioned perspective, it's not an ultimate condition. No judgment. I'm not taking another view against this view. No fixed view at all. One way of understanding the first fact of the Eightfold Path that we were chanting, like the right view, is no fixed views. 
no fixed views. Doesn't mean to say we don't have any view. We have views, but no fixed view. You know, so we, we can see ourselves as a complete failure. We don't try and get all positive about it and try and convince ourselves with positive thinking. And we just look at that as a view, as a condition. No judgment. No judgment. No taking another position against this position. No taking another view, grasping another view against this grasp, that view. The suffering that we experience is directly directly related to these views. And also, if we can get a a perspective on this link within ourselves, then also it helps with, as we view the world around us, and say, why do people behave this way? I mean, you know, you can look at what's happening in in an otherwise hugely fortunate fortunate circumstance we live in. We live in this incredibly fortunate circumstance. It's, It's luxury and good fortune, and yet... It's very easy to make a mess out of it. Why do people make a mess out of life? Why do people behave the way they do? Well, we don't have to habitually grasp at a view about that. I don't know. I don't know. But a strategic optimist inclines towards... There is a way of understanding this. There is a way of finding a way through this. Many times over the years that I've been here, I've lived in this monastery for 20 years, and... Many times, well, that's an exaggeration, several times, they have, we've reached a point where well, I just can't see how we're going to get past this. We've had some difficulties over the years. Those of you that have been here for a while know about some of these difficulties, and some of them have seemed really intransigent. But fortunately, there's been enough of this strategic optimism around, not naive optimism, not like getting positive about everything all the time and having a smile on your dial. No, feeling, actually, no, this is difficult. This is really difficult. And there are forces of evil that are trying to obstruct goodness. And so we fact that in, we listen to that, we feel that, we don't bypass, we don't dismiss it. But the light that comes from strategic optimism, from actually choosing to think positively, means that we're open to the possibility that there is a, a solution that's coming from a completely different direction. If we're grasping the view of being positive, then we're closed to those possibilities. And so whether it's with regards to our own inner experience or the world we live in, we're confronted with the great big I don't know, how do we meet it? Do we meet it with a fixed view about, well, what else do you expect? It's always like this. Or another fixed view of let's all believe in goodness and everybody's good and there isn't anything bad going on really. We don't have to take any fixed position. Rather than that, examine the views that we have, uh, investigate what's happening with awareness, with understanding, with sensitivity. So thank you very much this evening for your attention.